Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at the increasing uncertainty in investment markets and whether luck or skill is the defining factor for a successful investor. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, and Luke Pierce, Senior Investment Strategist. Welcome back to another edition of Word on the Street. This week, we'll be exploring the interaction between luck and skill, trying to think about the role that luck plays in investing and what we should be focused on. But Luke, before we get into that, perhaps we can get an update on the latest in markets, because even though it's the end of the summer holidays, it's still been a busy week. What have been the key takeaways for you and the team? Yeah, hi, Sarah. So risk assets have pulled back um, following what was quite a strong rally over the summer. Uh, So after reaching a year-to-date low around about mid-June, we've seen stock markets uh, and plenty of other risk assets actually rally quite sharply um, at that time. So since mid-August, we've seen basically a reversal of this. Um, Depending on where you look, major stock markets have fallen anywhere between kind of 6 to 10% in that time. And we've also seen, as I said, other risk assets like uh, corporate credit. So spreads have moved wider in that time as well. Frankly, it's quite difficult to pinpoint the exact reason or the exact cause for this reversal. Um, But markets uh, sometimes can be a little bit mysterious in this way. Um, So not every move is explainable or even justifiable. uh, And sometimes sentiment can just kind of unpredictably wax and wane. That said, one possible catalyst for this reversal in risk assets could be central bankers reaffirming their restrictive stance at Jackson Hole. So Jackson Hole is is an annual event where central bankers, policymakers, um, academics, and many others kind of get together to discuss various economic and policy issues. And it was essentially an opportunity for Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve to basically reiterate that interest rates in the US will likely need to remain higher for longer to combat the elevated levels of inflation that we're currently seeing, even if uh, that does hurt households and businesses in, in the meantime. And then just similarly, we've also seen a pretty sharp repricing in the path of UK interest rates in recent weeks. So if you go back just a month ago, UK policy rates were expected to peak at around about two and a half percent. That figure today stands at around about four percent. And that basically follows what is becoming an increasingly dire outlook for inflation, uh, with, of course, energy prices uh, being a key driver of of that here in the UK. Um, And as the Bank of England has pretty candidly warned, this will have quite drastic consequences for the UK economy, Um, though I think the severity of those consequences will depend on what, um, if any, government support measures will be taken to help households tackle what is becoming a very real cost of living crisis here in the UK. Thanks, Luke, for explaining that. Let's move on to the main topic for today, luck skill and how to think about this in in relation to investing. Now, we could spend hours on this topic, but we've only got time to scratch the surface. So let's begin by where does investing sit on the spectrum with luck at one end and skill on the other? Yeah, it's, a, it's an enormous topic. Um, but as you said, only got time to, to scratch the surface. I think, you know, generally untang- trying to untangle luck from skill is a really, really tricky task. Generally, we're very, very cr- quick to attribute any success that we might have to skill, while any kind of failures or, or setbacks to, to kind of bad luck. And Michael Morbus, who wrote the book, The Success Equation, kind of illustrates this concept really, really nicely with a story in that book. And the kind of story goes that for almost two centuries, Spain has hosted an enormous 
famously popular Christmas lottery. And if you look at the payout of the lottery, it's basically one of the biggest in, in the world and nearly all kind of Spaniards play this lottery. Now, in the mid-1970s, a man sought a ticket with the last two digits ending in 48. So he found this ticket, he bought the ticket, and he ended up winning the lottery. And um, When he was asked why he was so intent on finding that number, he replied that he dreamt of the number seven for seven straight nights, and seven times seven is 48. Um, now, seven times seven <laughs> wow. is obviously not 48, um, but I like that because it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek story which highlights, I think, the difficulty in trying to untangle luck from skill. But to various degrees, luck plays a role in, in all activities, everything that we do. And actually, in the, in the same book, I, w- I would thoroughly recommend anyone reading it, the author describes a nice acid test for checking whether an activity involves luck and you just simply have to ask yourself can you lose on purpose so for example you can't intentionally lose playing a game a fair game of roulette it's a game of pure chance so whether you have a good strategy a good process a good framework none of that matters it has no bearing on the outcome kind of whatsoever even if it might appear so but if you think of an activity like chess chess contains almost virtually no luck certainly at certain levels of of chess anyway the most skilled player tends to almost always win so where does investing sit on, on that spectrum i think investing sits somewhere in between those extremes so you might be unlucky in the short term, so events might unfold that you cannot possibly foresee or reasonably foresee. But over time, we would expect a good investing process to have a good investing outcome. Interesting. I like the story, Luke. Thank you. So what you said is we can't control the invested outcomes, especially over the short time horizons. What then should investors be focused on instead? Yeah. So when you can't control the outcome, your focus should really be on improving the quality of your decision making. And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do when it comes to investing uh, and quite frankly, a lot of other stuff too, trying to make the best decision that we can with the information that, that we have today. I think the difficulty with investing, you know, as I kind of alluded to, is that the short term returns that you get don't always reflect the quality of a decision made. So luck can really break that directly link between any skill that someone might have and the results that, that follow. Now, I don't think that means investors should kind of wait 20 plus years or, or however long you might need to gather enough statistical evidence to determine whether their investments were luck or skill. And actually, lots of research shows that people can barely stomach even just a few years of underperformance, let alone anything close to, to 20. But that lack of a, um, a timely kind of quality feedback loop between skills and results basically means that your attention should be entirely on making your investment process as robust as you possibly can. That doesn't mean ignoring performance at all, um, far from it. Um, but you certainly need to look beyond that when evaluating skill within investments or, or decision making more broadly. So I suppose the pushback there is that good decision making can be very tough in financial markets, particularly given the behavioural biases that we all have as investors that both Maya and Rob have talked about recently on our podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, good decision making can be interrupted by you know a number of different behavioural biases that the Rob and Maya have both covered comprehensively. So, uh, you know, just to name a few, we often kind of expect the future to look like the recent past. Uh, we often tend to seek out information that confirms our, our prior worldview, and it's very, very comfortable holding the same opinion as the crowd. And now, I think it's impossible to eliminate these biases altogether. Um, we are human after, after all, but I think we should and can do our best to try and mitigate them. 
So as a team, we spend a lot of time trying to come up with ways to improve our portfolios for clients, but we also spend a lot of time thinking about our process for doing so and coming up with good practices as well. So for example, we try to think probabilistically about a range of future outcomes, not just trying to focus on well, what is our base case or what is the most likely path uh, of the future ahead. Um, we're also quite conscious to seek out new, uh, information that contradicts our, our current worldview. So what are others saying that we might disagree with? Why are they saying that? What evidence do they have to hold that view? And then also, you know, where we, where we can and where it's appropriate, not being afraid to hold different opinions to the crowd. I think all of those are kind of helpful ways to try and combat some of those behavioral biases. And I suppose the flip side of behavioral biases is that they create opportunities as well. So in fact, our underlying philosophy of our tactical asset allocation, so our TAA, so that's where we do the short-term tilts in the portfolios based on our shorter-term outlook, that really relies on exploiting those behavioral biases. So, you know, for example, investors tend to herd uh, and sentiment can really swing to the extremes. Um, you know, I talked about that earlier, uh, but March 2020 was a very sort of extreme example of this. Uh, when markets rapidly fell over the uncertainty around the pandemic. The framework that we have in our, our tactical asset allocation, our TA, really helped us to remain disciplined um, and actually add to portfolio performance during that time by incre increasing our equity risk. Now, we won't get every call right, far from it. But as I mentioned earlier, I think a strong investment process should have a good outcome uh, over the long run. Yeah, that's interesting, Luke. So, when you were talking about in the uncertainty, how do you and the team think about uncertainty within our investment process? Yeah, so it's a good question. And it's, you know, it's very, very understandable why investors don't like uncertainty. It simply just creates a, you know, a state of uneasiness. Um, but it can't be avoided, uh, you know, when it comes to investing. And I think some people kind of almost use this as a reason to shy away from investing because of that unknown, because of the uncertainty. But I would almost reframe this slightly, you know, in a, in a way that very uncertainty or that kind of very risk that we bear is really why we are compensated as investors. You know, the fact that we cannot very easily predict future downturns in the stock market is a big part of the reason why we can expect to earn a return that's larger than cash or just holding, you know, your money in a bank account in the long run. So what, what I'm really trying to say is that investing has to be risky in order to earn a return. And so the goal when it comes to investing, it's not about avoiding risk or even avoiding uncertainty altogether. It's really trying to determine which risks are worth that potential rewards. Now, one of the ways um, or one of the key ways that we deal with uncertainty is diversification, which um, we've talked a lot about on this podcast and various other uh, kind of methods as well. But it's ultimately an expression of humility that we cannot predict the future with any degree of certainty. Trying to consistently choose which asset classes will perform best each year is an impossible task. And so you really want assets in the portfolio that perform well in different environments. And that will make for a better trade-off between risk and return. But I also think it helps makes the investment journey smoother, which I think helps from a behavioral perspective too. On that point around diversification, government bonds haven't been the usual diversifier to stocks this year as they've sold off together. How should investors think about achieving that diversification in this type of you know, different regime? Yeah, it's a very good question. It's been a bit of a, a sticking point for a lot of investors uh, this year. I think 
you really need to be very, very thoughtful about how you achieve diversification. So not just looking at correlations over the last 10 years and just kind of assuming that that will always be the case going forward. That's, you know, one of the kind of biases that, that I mentioned earlier. And you noted a very, very good example with what we've seen in stocks and bonds this year. They haven't sold off like this together because we haven't really seen rampant inflation for kind of 30 or even 40 years, right? So as I said, assuming the future will only look like the recent past can really get you into trouble. So when we build or think about building portfolios, we're very, very careful to look back at more than just the last 10 years of history. And we do a lot of research and a lot of statistical analysis to ensure that the assets that we have within our universe and within our portfolios, they're bringing something different and bringing something unique to the portfolios. And this really ties back to the decision making and the investment process stuff that I was talking about earlier. You know, we've been quite fortunate enough to benefit from increasing our allocation to commodities in many of our client portfolios from the kind of beginning of last year, whilst also having reduced exposure to, to government bonds too. Now, I, I don't want to sit here and claim credit for, for seeing the parabolic rise in, in gas prices or any of the other factors that have contributed to the elevated levels of inflation that, that we're currently experiencing. But I think we can be proud of the fact that we have stuck to our investment process uh, at the time in what was quite an unpopular uh, and even contrarian decision to, to add commodities uh, at the beginning of 2021. Great. Thanks, Luke. That was a really interesting discussion. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. But I look forward to speaking to you with you all soon for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.